Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, and Eric, I don't know what we've done, but I have a like Google alert for mentions of Raskin and Mulvaney. And I've been getting a crazy amount of notifications lately, especially uh, last week. I guess the world is finally waking up to the podcast, huh? Hmm. Uh, when exactly were these notifications? Was it on Tuesday, perhaps? The the day of that semi-surprise January 6th committee hearing? Well, well, it was, actually. But, you know, I mean, of course, because it's the day after the, the podcast goes up. So it makes sense that that would be when there was a peak in mentions of Raskin and Mulvaney. Now, normally yeah. I would dive deeper into what these mentions were, but... For reasons that we'll just gloss over for purposes of this introduction, I didn't do that this time and just assumed that it was all about our podcast. Uh, are you sad? Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, here. I'm, I'm, I'm doubting your theory here and your thinking. I, I, I have some disappointing news. Um, yes. Jamie Raskin and Mick Mulvaney were both trending on social media that day. Had had nothing ah. to do with us. But, you know, I'm sure our podcast numbers got a nice temporary boost from people searching those names and discovering, oh, Raskin and Mulvaney have a podcast together? Uh, I got to check that out. <laughs> uh, and then presumably big disappointment when they heard us blathering about meaningless sportsy nonsense. Or complete joy to just, to just stumble across instead a podcast with meaningless sports nonsense <laughs> that's instead true. of everything else that's going on. Yeah, that, you're right. It could have been complete joy. And, and you know, I know that you're not terribly proud to share a surname with Mick Mulvaney. Indeed. Uh, although he did have a decent day on Tuesday. He was tweeting, yes. you know, truthful statements, at least for a few hours. Um, I, on the other hand, I'm quite proud of Cousin Jamie. I'm perfectly fine with him being the Raskin who trends on social media. He is the number one Raskin. I concede that. Uh, although I do have him beat on one front. I have the way less weird head of hair. Yeah. I, I, saw, I saw him talking to the press and it was shot sort of from the side and up above. And uh, yeah, not, not great. I figured it was going to be uh, a long few years when Mick Mulvaney became the chief of staff and there were headlines along the lines of there's no need for research into climate change says Mulvaney <laughs> I'm like no wait no <laughs> fake news fake news <laughs> well anyway big big apologies to anyone tuning into this podcast hoping to hear Jamie Raskin I'm sorry to report you're getting the inferior Raskin but I think we can agree that you're getting the superior Mulvaney I think, I think so so it all kind of balances out right. basically so if you are here to learn more about January 6th Tough luck. Uh, what we do have for you, though, is a Showtime Championship Boxing triple header to preview on July 9th. And we have an interview with a very promising prospect who's fighting on that card, lightweight Frank the Ghost Martin. Uh, we have some news to cover, uh, the main event of which is the retirement of a former multi-weight world champion. Uh, with the year at the halfway stage, we're going to chat about who we think is the frontrunner for Fighter of the Year. But let's begin with that Showtime Championship boxing card from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, beginning with the main event, pitting recently minted featherweight titleist Mark Magsayo against fellow unbeaten Ray Vargas. We last saw Magsayo on Showtime in January when he became only the second opponent to defeat Mr. Gary Russell Jr. and took his featherweight belt in the process. Magsayo from the Philippines is 24-0 with 16 KOs, and the Russell win was by far the biggest of his career to this point. His opponent, Mexico's Ray Vargas, 
has no wins of the caliber of Magsayo beating Russell, but he has several wins against solid world-class opposition such as Gavin McDonnell, Oscar Negrete, and Ronnie Rios. He's a former titleist at 122 pounds. This will be his second fight at featherweight, and he boasts a record of 35-0 with 22 KOs. Kieran, in the aftermath of Magsayo's win over Russell, most of the commentary, including from us, focused on how Russell injured his shoulder and fought much of the contest one-handed and still nearly won. So is Magsayo an accidental champion? Does he belong on this stage? And what kind of a contest can he expect from Vargas? I wouldn't say he's an accidental champion. You know, was he somewhat fortunate to face a Gary Russell Jr. who came into the contest with a shoulder injury that he aggravated during the fight? Sure. Um, You know, uh, Russell normally throws 38 jabs around, and over the last nine rounds of that fight, he threw three. Not three per round, three. Hmm. Um, So clearly he was advantaged there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also difficult to get a sense of how the fight would have unfolded without that injury, uh, not least because Magsayo appeared to be more in control for the first four rounds of the contest before Russell aggravated his injury than afterwards. Um, that said, you know, Magsayo did what he had to do. Um, he showed some real smarts. Even though he's considered an action fighter, he was expected to come flying out of the blocks. He, his aggression was quite controlled throughout, which seemed to confuse Russell a little bit. And he, and he also deserves credit, I think, for the fact that even as it appeared that Russell had turned it around and, and was heading to victory despite being one-armed, uh, Maxayo found a different gear at the very end and and quite possibly won the final couple rounds, which was enough to him to escape with a majority decision win. So accidental champion, no. Slightly fortunate, perhaps. But again, he's hardly the first challenger to face an injured champion, and he won't right. be the last. Uh, he just took advantage of the situation that presented it uh, itself. Um, he is a legitimately good fighter, Although, as we noted when we previewed that Russell fight, he probably doesn't have what it takes to become a great fighter. Um, He can be exciting going forward, but he can be very porous in terms of his defense. Um, There are some issues around his stamina, but he is fun to watch, and he certainly belongs here. Yes, I mean, that's certainly fair to say. Um, Ray Vargas, in contrast, is a very different kind of boxer. Um, it, it feels odd to look at his record and see that he has 22 stoppages and 35 wins, because he most assuredly is not, by any means, an action fighter. And he actually hasn't won a fight inside the distance since 2016. Um, as you noted, he's has wins against... Certainly decent quality yeah. opposition, and he's technically very sound. He, he's tall, ridiculously tall, actually, for um, a featherweight at a listed five foot ten and a half. And as you would expect, he works behind a long, stiff jab using good footwork to keep himself in the position that he wants and his opponent doesn't want him. Uh, it can be tremendously effective, and it can be awfully awfully dull to watch um i suspect we are going to see ray vargas trying to control it from the outside mixing up jabs and perhaps some body shots to slow magsayo down and keep him honest and keep him at a distance we're going to see magsayo trying to work his way in and fire from the pocket it's going to be a clash of styles but it is a clash of styles that i think is more likely to be intriguing than entertaining or exciting frankly Yeah, I'll I'll save most of my thoughts on this matchup for when we make our picks, but one thing that I'll chime in on now, and 
I might have said this in the immediate aftermath of the Maxayo-Russell fight. I can't remember. But, and this builds on a point that you were making, Russell's hurt shoulder was probably the worst thing that could have happened to Maxayo reputation-wise. As you said, Maxayo looked great winning the first couple of rounds before Russell's shoulder seemed to be a factor. And then once it became a big factor, Russell became more focused on what he needed to do, or more accurately, what little he could do. And he fought pretty well as a one-armed guy. And so in the end, I'm just not sure the outcome is any different if Russell has two good mm-hmm. shoulders, but Max Io gets that big asterisk on it. It was a strange fight. Reviews were mixed yeah. afterward on Max Io's win and what it meant. And it sets up a scenario where there's a lot riding on this Vargas fight for him. You know, beat the tricky, awkward, undefeated Vargas, and the win over Russell was no fluke. But yep. lose to Vargas, yeah, maybe you were a fluky one-hit wonder. Yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, the co-main is also uh, 126 pounds. Like the main event, features two fighters who have, you know, for parts of their careers at least, previously campaigned four pounds lighter. Uh, one of them is highly familiar to our listeners, Brandon Figueroa, who most recently lost his 122-pound belt in a terrific unification bout with Stephen Coolboy Steph Fulton last November. His comeback bout sees him putting his now 22-1-1 with 17 KOs record on the line against once-defeated Carlos Castro, who is... 27, and of course, one with 12 KOs. Uh, Castro's defeat came on points in a close bout with Luis Neri, whom Figueroa stopped in his last outing before the Fulton loss. Eric, what are you expecting from Figueroa this time out? Do you anticipate any hangover at all from that Fulton loss? And tell us a little bit about Castro and what you think he brings to the table. Well, I'm expecting there's a decent chance we see a better Figueroa than we've ever seen before, which is saying something because he's obviously looked like an elite fighter. But we've been hearing for a while that he was killing himself to make 122. Mm -hmm. He might have a whole nother level of energy only having to get down to 126 pounds. Then again, maybe he had some size and strength advantages at 122 and his punches will prove a little less effective at 126. You never know. But Logic tells you the move up four pounds is probably good for Figueroa, who's 25 years old. He'd simply outgrown the 122-pound division. As for a hangover from the Fulton loss, I say absolutely not, because in Figueroa's mind, it wasn't a loss. He has repeatedly called it a robbery. He thinks he won. And while I disagree with him, I scored for Fulton, it was certainly close enough and competitive enough to understand why Figueroa feels that way. So... Unless somehow officially losing his zero has taken away some of his motivation, which seems highly unlikely, I expect no hangover. Anyway, we've seen Brandon on Showtime quite a few times. We know pretty much what to expect. Castro, not an unknown by any means, but a lesser known than Figueroa. This is his first time on Showtime. His last couple of fights were on pay-per-view undercards. He lost to Neri on the Thurman Barrios card. And he stopped Oscar Escandone in a fun fight on the Ugas Pacquiao undercard. Quick bio for the newbies. Uh, Castro was born in Mexico, but moved to Phoenix at age two, started boxing at age six. He became a father at age 16. And in and around that, from age 15 to 17, he gave up boxing. But he was talked back into it by his wife and turned pro at 18. He's trained by Manny Robles. This is their third fight together. Stylistically, his modest knockout rate and his tall skinny frame would make you think he's more boxer than brawler, but that isn't really the case. He's not a cutie at all. Uh, Mm. Frankly, his defense would need a lot more work to qualify as a cutie. Uh, He's tall, 
and he tends to leave his chin exposed, and Neri was able to get to it with his southpaw left hand, scoring a knockdown in the first round, which Castro shook off and battled back and nearly won the fight, but look for Figueroa to maybe go to the southpaw stance early and often here. But anyway, Castro tends to stand and trade and, and hit and get hit. This should be a fun matchup. The question is whether he can keep pace with Figueroa. Castro is a talented and skilled guy, but clearly the B-side here, even though the two fighters' records are similar. The broadcast opens with a 10-round lightweight bout featuring unbeaten and highly touted prospect Frank the Ghost Martin, who is trained by our friend and trainer of the year frontrunner Derek James. Martin has a record of 15-0 with 11 knockouts. He takes on Ricardo Nunez of Panama, who is 23-3 with 21 KOs. Kieran, what's the scouting report on these two? So Nunez, as you can probably tell from 21 KOs from 23 wins, is a bit of a banger. Um, The question is whether that KO ratio is boosted by the fact that, by and large, he hasn't faced the highest quality of opposition. I mean, some of them, some of his opponents have had pretty decent records, but look, of his 26 total fights, 24 have been in Panama, one in Mexico. Uh, Before uh, July 9th, he fought just once in the United States when he faced Javante Davis in Baltimore in 2019 and was stopped in the second round. Um, So a little bit of a question mark, perhaps, about Nunez. Martin, in contrast, boy, he uh, he looks like he's a pretty good-looking boxer. And uh, he turned to boxing late at age 18. So even though he's only got 15 fights, he's already 27 years old. But he does look like he could be very good indeed. He moves very nicely in and out. Uh, He's got good footwork, fast hands. He throws punches that are short and straight. And there's a good variety of punches as well. He can box off the back foot. He can counter and he can walk forward and be the aggressor. Um, He'll often start as a boxer, pick his opponents apart and then gradually turn up the pressure. Um, His most recent outing on Fox saw him stop Romero Duno in the fourth round, which in theory was a step up in competition, but when he handled extremely well. He's the A side here, but he's up against somebody who... If he is able to take that power up a class of opposition, could very well have the power to make this a very interesting and tough challenge for young Frank Martin. Um, Before the broadcast as well, there will be a pair of bouts on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. The action will see unbeaten welterweight contender Rashidi Ellis facing Argentine Olympian Alberto Palmeira in a 10-round duel, and San Antonio's own Ramon Cardenas battling Venezuela's Michelle Banquez in a 10-round bantamweight attraction. Eric, anything you're looking forward to there? Well, I like Speedy Rashidi Ellis, uh, but mostly I like saying Speedy Rashidi. Uh, <laughs> I do think uh, this Ellis Palmetta matchup is excellent. It would be an A-plus showbox main event or an outstanding mm. Showtime Championship boxing opener. Uh, we have seen Palmetta on showbox once. He stopped Eric Vega in 2019. He's getting up there in age for a prospect. He's 32. It's time for him to make his move. And if he beats Ellis, he's immediately at least a fringe contender. Ellis, I have to pass along this note from his manager, trainer, Alex Rivera. So Rashidi is the younger brother of Ronald Ellis, who we've seen on Mm -hmm. Showtime several times. And they also have a sister, Rashida, who fought in the 2021 Olympics. And coach Alex Rivera said if he could put the three of them in a blender, they would make the perfect (laughs) fighter. I enjoyed that. Um, As for Cardenas and Banquez. Like Palmetta, they each have one loss on their records. In fact, these two have identical records of 20 wins, one defeat. Quick fun fact on each, uh, or maybe not fun fact in the case of Cardenas, who says he has had COVID four times. Wow. 
that seems less than ideal. Uh, Banquez's fun fact is a little more fun. Uh, three of his last four opponents were undefeated, and he beat them all. And the most recent was a notable upset win. He scored a sixth-round stoppage of a 2016 Cuban Olympian who was 8-0, Johannes Argilagos. All right, let's turn to this week's guest. And he is one of the fighters we just talked about. He's someone who is starting to get a lot of attention in the lightweight division. And you can see him on this card against Ricardo Nunez. He is 15-0 with 11 KOs. He's making his first appearance on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. I suspect it will be far from the last. Frank, the Ghost Martin, welcome to the podcast. And thank you for joining us. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Appreciate y'all for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you uh, carving out some time for us so close to a big fight. Um, so so you'd been advancing through the lightweight division slowly, steadily, getting experience, working your way up. But your most recent outing, fourth round knockout of Romero Duno, really opened people's eyes. Looking back on that fight, what stands out to you in your performance? Um, that the shot that I, that I hurt Duno with. Uh, we kind of we prepared for that shot to be a shot that would have been a shot that uh, stopped him. So that actually being a shot that stopped him was pretty cool. So that was like specifically the game plan was you were you were setting up that exact punch for the in that fight. Yeah. Okay. And and I and I noticed looking back shortly before you landed that punch in that same round, he landed a couple of good right hands on you. How much did you feel those? Uh, he had some power. You know, he had enough power to be like, oh, I, I can't get hit with too many of them. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, and one other thing uh, about that fight, one of the broadcasters was uh, Joe Goosen, and, and he said that he's hard-pressed to find a single flaw in you. When when you hear comments like that, how does it make you feel? It just it just keeps me going, you know. It, that's motivating, you know. That's, that's, that's motivating to hear that from him, you know, from Joe Goosen. It's like, all right. I, I still I got gaps now, you know, but it's like let's let's try to limit them, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty dope for him to, you know, give me that type of credit. So if I understand correctly, you didn't start boxing until you were 18. Is that right? And and if so, I'm I'm curious what prompted you to pick up the gloves when you did. Yeah, I started when I was 18. I was like 17 going on to 18. So uh I would say I really started competing. When I started competing, I was 18. Um, what got me into it was just I, I always was a fighter. Like I always was just a. Before I started boxing, I was more like a, a, a street fighter. So I had to learn, you know, the stance and everything. So that's what got me into it. Were you someone like as a, a, as a kid who enjoyed boxing and had favorite fighters? And and actually, do you have favorite fighters now you like to watch? Uh, growing up, I really didn't. I really didn't uh, watch boxing much. My dad he watched and stuff, but. I really didn't watch it much. My brother actually, like, the first fighter that I really would say I, like, was turned on to was uh, Roy Jones Jr. My brother used to, like, make a big deal about Roy Jones. So I used to always, like, watch Roy Jones and stuff. But, like, coming up, there was nobody in my family that boxed or even, like, even, even that was around that I knew was boxers and stuff like that. So it was just something, like, I just... I don't know. I always wanted to fight, but it was just something I just got into. Mm. I'm curious about for people who haven't seen you before. This is going to be like a, a big exposure to you for to Showtime audiences. How would you describe yourself as a fighter and your fighting style? Uh, I feel like I'm a smart fighter. I'm a poised fighter. You know, I don't rush things. I let I let things come to me. 
You know, if, if, if I got to box a guy, I'll box him and go, to, you know, go out of rounds. I'm all right with that. Like, it's not a, oh, I got to knock him out or, you know, like, I'm okay with going the distance and, you know, putting on a good show. But if I see an opportunity to get a knockout or something like that, I'm going to go for it. So, so you're part of a crop of boxers in their 20s who are, who are making some real noise. Um, at welterweight, there's Boots Ennis and Virgil Ortiz. We've seen Bam Rodriguez annihilate the opposition at 115 pounds. There's Stephen Fulton at 122. And then, of course, around your weight, we have Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia. How do you rate yourself compared to those guys? And, and, and do you have your eyes on any of those lightweight names that I mentioned? I mean, in the top five, like, with, I rate myself, like, I'm highly, I feel like I'm up there with those guys, you know. Uh, I feel like I'm ready now, you know. I'm getting the training, the proper training and all of that stuff to be ready. I got the skill set, you know. Uh, uh, some people may be like, oh, you should wait longer. But, you know, I feel that I'm ready for those guys. Just, just give me the opportunity and then everybody will get to see, you know, once uh, I get the opportunity. But, hey, we got to start somewhere. But. I feel like I'm ready for all the top five guys now. Okay. Um, and just, you know, you being part of this generation that, that's really hitting and starting to headline these big shows, how, how exciting is it for you to be part of this and for boxing to have so many strong young fighters emerging right now? It's sweet. You know, it keep me it, like, you got to stay, you got to stay on point, you know, like, it's like, okay, we got a lot of 135 is hot, you know, just the lightweight division is hot. So, it's like any any opportunity can come up, you know, with some of these top names or even if it's not a top name, you know, uh, them opportunities going to come up in the, the 135 division is just exciting. So to be in that division and me coming up, and actually, you know, uh, I'm pretty slept on. So it's, it's, it's not a bad thing, you know, because once I do get that opportunity, you know, uh, Everybody, everybody would be woke then. So <laughs> right. It's exciting, though. So you've been training for a while now with Derek James down in Dallas, and, and he's a great friend of the podcast. He's been on our podcast a bunch. And, um, of course, he's also the trainer of, of Jamel Charlo and Errol Spence. And, and I'm curious what it's like being in camp with all these guys, how that's helped you. And can you give us a little bit of a sense of what it is that makes Derek such a good trainer? This what makes him a good trainer, just the way he – explain everything like when you when you're training like the things that he tell us to do he can actually show us why to do it and you know when is the the right time to do it you know and it's really just like it's really more to ex explain it you know and it makes sense like when you're like okay that does make sense so it's like it makes you comfortable and you and, and it feel it feel like the right thing to do it ain't just like he can just tell you hey do this and i show you why to do it hmm. so you know, he the way he breaks things down, the understanding of it is what makes what makes him so like good of a coach, I feel. Mm. I know you spent like a lot of time also uh with with Errol and Jamel when you've been in camp there. And, and, and how is it like working around those guys? It just it's, it, it keeps me motivated, you know, with those guys being where they are in the sport, it just keeps me, you know, uh on top of my A game. You know, it just keep me keep me on my A game. Yeah, it gives you something to aspire to and, and some goals to hit to get as big as those guys are. And so we have to ask you about the fight everyone wants to see that involves one of those guys, uh, Errol Spence against Terrence Crawford. Um, 
any insight on whether it's going to happen this year? Um, and, and I'm sure you're picking Errol to win, but what, in your view, does he have to be careful of with Crawford? I feel, I feel that it's boxing, you know, so you got to be careful of everything. Okay. You know, I, I'm like, that's, that's honest. You know, you just got to be careful of everything. Uh, Terrence, he just, you know, he throws, he throws a lot of, like, he throws a lot of shots, but I would just say he would have to be just defensively responsible the whole fight, you know. Uh, but I do got EJ winning. I feel that he has a lot more in his arsenal. Uh, that's just that's just my opinion. And, you know, me being there in the, in the gym and knowing, understanding the things that we work on. So I, I, I feel that uh, he will win that fight. Yeah, so, some of us were a little surprised just how great Errol looked against your Dennis Ugas. I'm guessing being around him, you weren't surprised to, to, that, that you've seen that in the gym and knew he was capable of, of dominating that fight that way. Yeah, the way he was training in camp, it was crazy. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, just seeing how hard you train in camp and stuff, Not like now it's my camp, so it's, all right, I got to push myself because he looked good from – the beginning of camp to the end of camp, you know, just how strong he looked. And then even coming back from that, the accident and stuff, like he looked like nothing ever happened to him, you know? So that's something that, uh, it was like, it was actually cool to see. He came back like super strong, Mm. like real strong. Right. And so, and so just, uh, to, uh, to repeat, uh, one of the questions that I asked that you maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally didn't answer, but, uh, do you have any sense of, of whether Errol and, and Crawford is going to happen this year? Is there, is there talk in the camp about how close that fight is? Um, honestly, they really haven't said much in camp, but I'm, if both of those, if they both want to fight, you know, I do believe it'll happen this year and, and I do believe they both want to fight. So, I know EJ wants to fight. All right, final question. And we've made it this far without talking about your opponent uh, on the ninth, Ricardo Nunez, who you were originally supposed to face a couple of weeks ago. Um, what kind of fighter is he and what kind of challenges are, are you expecting from him and, and what can fans expect on Saturday the ninth? Uh, I feel that Ricardo is like a, he a, a puncher. You know, he's a strong fighter. And he's more of a like, I feel that he's going to try to, counter me maybe with a big shot, you know, uh, and try to stop me or whatever. But uh, I'm going to be prepared. I feel that I feel that I'm going to come in with the – I'm going to just be relaxed when I go in there and just watch out for those big shots that he throw. And in the mix of that, try to land me a big shot. It's always good to stop the guys who they say is like – because they say like, oh, he's a big puncher. So it's always good to get that. You know, a stoppage like that under my belt saying, okay, he stopped the puncher. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that you think like people are sleeping on you or not aware of you. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be lasting very much longer. And maybe by Sunday, July 10th, it's definitely going to be all over. So (laughs) we'll see. Um, Hey, look, man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Really looking forward to seeing you fight. It's been great to have you on the podcast. I have a feeling you'll be back here as well. And best of luck on the ninth. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, our thanks again to Frank. The streak continues. Yet another very affable young fighter we've had the pleasure of chatting with on the podcast. And he can fight, uh, although this is a dangerous spot he's in against the heavy-punching Ricardo Nunez. So let's get to our predictions, and we will start with that opening bout of the Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header. I'm holding on to a slim one-point lead, 53-52. to And you're up first, Kieran, with your Martin Nunez pick. 
If you've been paying any attention to what I've been saying so far in this podcast, and if you haven't, I wouldn't blame you. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> clear, I think, that I'm quite high on young Frank Martin. Uh, I think he might have the makings of a very good fighter. Uh, he's versatile. He's smart. He's compact and composed. As you mentioned during our interview, he did get cracked a couple times mm -hmm. against Duno, and he can be hit. And Nunez is a puncher. Um, I don't know that Martin's any more vulnerable to being hit than most people, but that's certainly something, you know, he did take those punches before coming back. I don't think he wants to do that against Nunez, who we don't know that much about his quality, but we do know that he can hit. Um, but I think in just about every other aspect, Martin is a superior boxer here. I expect him to sit back, see what Nunez has, how much pressure he brings, initially fight on the back foot and counter him. And once he starts to time him, he might start walking forward a little bit uh, and really sort of let him fly with the punches. And I think he'll end up the aggressor and I think he'll get a stoppage. I expect Martin to win by stoppage and I'm going to say round six. Okay. Uh, one thing that I know is that this fight is not going the distance. Uh, mm -hmm. Nunez is the modern day lightweight Ernie Shavers in that mm -hmm. either he's going to knock you out or he's going to get knocked out. You know, big punch, not much of a chin. That's Nunez. If he's going to pull off the upset here, it will almost definitely be by knockout. I guess there's a little bit of a chance of Martin outboxing him and winning a decision, but that too is unlikely. Um, Assuming that the Raskin and Mulvaney interview curse has been lifted, uh, <laughs> I got to go with Martin here, just like you did. He, he's fast. He's sharp. But I am a little worried about those right hands he took against mm -hmm. Romero Duno. Uh, Nunez is a live dog to land something big. But like you, I'll go with Martin. Could come in the first round or two, possibly. Could go a lot deeper into the fight. I'll take a middle ground and say same result as the Duno fight. Martin KO4. And next up is Brandon Figueroa and Carlos Castro. And Castro's a solid fighter, has some upside, but seems to me a case of anything he can do, Figueroa can do better. Uh, it's not a mismatch, not even close. This is good matchmaking, but it's yeah. just really hard for me to find an excuse to pick Castro to win. I think we'll see a strong, healthy Figueroa at 126. He's going to apply a lot of pressure. Thanks to Castro's shaky defense, he'll land a lot of clean shots, both to the head and the body. And I think he'll do what Luis Neri couldn't and stop Castro, probably with body shots doing the ultimate damage. I've got Figueroa KO8 in a nonstop action fight, but one that gets increasingly one-sided. Yeah, um, you know, it was interesting. I, I was watching, re-watching uh, Castro's fight with Oscar Escandon that you mentioned earlier, and I wondered if that might give us a little bit of insight, you know, because Escandon is a pressure fighter of sorts as well, and he came out of the blocks, stunned Castro early, and that's interesting. There's like a consistency there in his being able to be stunned early. Um, nearly put him down in the first round, but Castro boxed well off the back foot. He worked off the ropes, he absorbed the pressure, and then he sort of gradually, you know, took over and then dropped and stopped Escandon in the 10th. So we know that he can deal with pressure fighters, but Escandon is no Brandon Figueroa, and not all pressure fighters are the same. Um, Escandon's punch output is not remotely the same as Figueroa's. His, his offense is not as varied. Um, it's more labored. Stephen Fulton struggled to counter off of Figueroa's pressure, uh, and although he emerged victorious, Castro will not. He'll try to get off. He'll try to counter. But I just think that the pressure is just going to build and build and build. 
I wonder if it might ultimately be a corner stoppage. Um, you know, Castro may stay on his feet, but it's going to be pretty obvious that he's wilting. I'm going to be slightly more generous and say he lasts until the ninth round when Figueroa gets the stoppage win. Okay. And that will bring us to the main event, uh, Maxayo versus Vargas. As I said, look, Maxayo does belong here. He's an undefeated fighter, and he's an exciting one. Vargas is an undefeated fighter and a frequently unexciting one. But I think the unexciting boxer will prove victorious here. Look, Maxaya will have his moments. It's possible to dip inside of Vargas's long reach and crack him. It's happened. Um, but it's never happened on a consistent basis. Maxaya needs to be able to disrupt his rhythm all the way through the contest. Once Vargas settles into his groove, it's awfully hard to disrupt him. That's what Maxaya has to do, is just not let Vargas get settled. Um, but And I think during the first half of the fight, he'll be quite successful at that. I think that'll be a little bit of back and forth. Um, and Maxaya might be up halfway through. But there's a little bit of a question mark about Maxaya's stamina. And I think it's going to take a lot of effort to do it. And I just think by the second half of the fight, Vargas will get going. He'll get his distance right. He'll work the jab. He'll fire to the body at times to keep Maxaya honest. And I think Vargas will wind up with yet another unanimous decision win. Okay. Uh, yeah, this this is a real toss-up for me. E- easily the toughest fight on the card yeah. to pick a winner. One important note on Vargas from his last fight against Leonardo Baez, I noticed he was holding his hands low and leaving himself very open, especially when he punched. And it looked like a case where a big hitter could really make him pay. But that probably was exaggerated by him not feeling threatened against Baez. Mm. I would expect he'll be more defensively responsible against a puncher like Magsayo, which also might mean he's back to trying to be as boring as possible against Magsayo. He was almost kind of enjoyable to watch against Baez, but um, his best chance to win here is to box and move and frustrate Magsayo. I think these two are very competitively matched, very different styles. It's just mm-hmm. a really tough pick and tough to know how their respective approaches will mesh. I could see Maxayo being the first to stop Ray Vargas, but I think more likely this goes the distance. Maxayo is the one making the fight. Vargas is making him look bad at times. It's a tough fight to score. And a lot of people on Twitter are going to be saying that Vargas deserves the decision, but I'm going to say the judges in San Antonio give a controversial split decision to Maxayo. And that sticks you with the unenviable task on Saturday night of rooting for Ray Vargas. (laughs) All right, it is time now for the tweet of the week. My turn to pick it. And you probably saw the news this week, Kieran, that 140-pound women's title holder Kaylee Reese, who we recall losing in a close fight to Cecilia Brakus in 2018, but has won six in a row since then, she has been cast as the second lead of the upcoming fourth season of True Detective, which airs on some network or other. It's not important. Uh, (laughs) Jodie Foster is the main star and Kaylee Reese, who got positive reviews for her acting in the movie Catch the Fair One, which she also co-wrote. Reese is the co-star of this next season of True Detective. Cool news. Good for her. I probably won't be watching because True Detective was very good for about 90% of one season and then quickly lost me for life. Uh, Mm -hmm. Showtime forever. That's my attitude. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, the tweet of the week goes to Kaylee Reese herself. She was quote tweeting the Hollywood Reporter's article about the casting news, and she tweeted, and before I start reading it, lots of bad language here, 
most of which I will read as she wrote it. But I've decided to censor one word I'm not as comfortable saying. Uh, you mm. can look up the tweet if you want to see what that word is. But either way, to our young listeners' earmuffs, uh, Reese tweeted, hashtag that part, then a target emoji and a prayer hands thankful emoji, and then... And before y'all fuck bleeps start chumming in <laughs> with the you avoiding the Cameron fight, you're running scared, you're blah, blah, fucking blah shit. One does not have to do with the other. I've answered those questions. So kindly, STFU. Uh, she's referring to Chantel Cameron, um, whom fans want to see her fight. And this is a preemptive strike against the idiots who are going to be like, you took a once-in-a-lifetime career opportunity to star opposite Jodie Foster in a high-profile <laughs> show. That means you're ducking a fight. Uh, and I so fully support her uh, taking that preemptive strike. So despite her using one word that she probably shouldn't have used, Kaylee Reese gets Tweet of the Week honors. You know, I, I would really like this, like, for if she's moving increasingly into acting, and not only just into acting, but into extremely prominent roles. I hope, I generally don't encourage all the things that we're used to in boxing escaping into the outside world at all. Right. I like to have boxing completely ring-fenced with our little island of awfulness. But <laughs> I like this. I want to see this kind of thing. I want to see the next time, say, for example, Kristen Bell gets gets some part. I want her to come out and just lay down the F-bombs and say, to like, she's got a role uh, again, alongside Robert De Niro. And she goes... All of you MFs who are saying I'm just ducking the chance to work with Reese Witherspoon, go after yourself. That's I want to see a lot more of that. I yes. think that's just going to spark a lot more interest in, in in Hollywood. That's 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 my prescription there. Kaylee Reese could be could be doing something. I suppose so. Although I, I I'm hesitant to tell anyone from other walks of life to borrow from the way that boxing does exactly. things. But but it it would be fun. <laughs> so there you go. I'm actually really looking forward to this. I haven't seen. That one movie that, that she wrote and starred yeah, in. Nor but have I. She's clearly, I mean, to get this kind of a role alongside such a high quality actor, she's right. uh, she, she could obviously really act. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued, I must okay. say. All right, you'll have to let me know how it is. I don't plan to watch. Yeah, see, here's the thing, right? I'm one of these idiots who, once I'm committed to it, I'm, I'm still watching Westworld. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I, and you know how deeply I love all things Aaron Paul. I gave it a shot. And uh, I think about an episode and a half into the Aaron Paul season, I was I was done with that. So uh, I watched every episode of Homeland. OK, like, well, at least at, at least at least now you're saying you're stuck with a Showtime show. Yeah, so I thought that's, I better throw that's that good. Good job balancing that. Although I gave up on that, too. We're finding out that I I am willing to cut the cord when a, when a show. Yeah, you I'm know, not usually bad. just like one bad episode and I'm out. But if you're bad for like half a season, I, I don't count on you to bounce back. Yeah. And I think the last couple of seasons of Homeland was just purely hate watching. And that's where I'm at with Westworld now as well. But <laughs> oh, there you go. There's anyway. so much good stuff out there. To <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. Ah, well. Time now for the news, and our main event is the retirement of former world titleist Mikey Garcia. Um, Garcia's always been a quiet guy, and he announced his retirement in the quietest way possible, by adding retired to his Instagram bio, uh, which a few very sharp-eyed folks uh, on social media picked up, and he subsequently confirmed the news to uh, a couple of media outlets. Garcia walks away with a record of 40-2 and two with 30 KOs, he won titles at 126, 130, 135, and 140 pounds. His two defeats came at welterweight, uh, 21 pounds and four weight divisions above where he began his career, to Errol Spence 
and then in an upset in his final fight to Sandor Martin. Uh, Eric, you were all surprised at Garcia's retirement and, and sum up his career for us, if you will. Maybe give us an advanced peek and how he'll fare on your Hall of Fame ballot in a few years. I'm glad I don't have to answer the Hall of Fame question officially for at least three years, because I, I do think some distance will be helpful with Mikey. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to that last. First, am I surprised he's retiring? No. Um, I'm just going to say what every single other person has said since this news hit. Garcia was always a reluctant boxer. He yeah. did it because he was really good at it, and it was the best way for him to make good money. But he was always thinking at least a little bit about getting out. So for him to retire quietly after suffering his first bad upset loss, no surprise. All yep. perfectly on brand. Um, summing up his career uh, came from the Fighting Garcia family from Oxnard and had the most talent of them all. Had the natural punching power that his brother Robert lacked. As you said, he won belts in four weight classes, although he was never the champ in any of those divisions snuck onto the bottom of some pound-for-pound lists for a brief moment there. You mentioned his two losses. His best wins were against Orlando Salido. Um, I'll come back to that one. Uh, a fading Juan Manuel Lopez, Adrian Broner, Sergey Lipinets, Robert Easter. A very good career. Is it Hall of Fame worthy? Mm. My quick non-answer answer, if he gets in before Rafael Marquez, I riot. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, he's a very borderline case. I, I see the case for and the case against the four division titleist thing. There are too many belts these days, and it's too mm. easy to grab one without even necessarily being a top 10 fighter in that division. So that is not a guarantee of anything with regard to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Leo Gomez was a four division titleist, and he's never getting in. The same for the aforementioned Adrian Broner. He shouldn't even be remotely considered to get his name near a ballot. Um, Garcia's resume is certainly better than those guys. I just ran down some of his very good wins. He certainly lacks a signature win. Mm. On paper, the closest to it might be Salido, who had the best overall career, I'd say, of anyone Mikey beat. But that fight went under the microscope again this week when he retired. Uh, people were rehashing it and redebating it. Mikey built a big lead, then suffered a broken nose from an accidental clash of heads and kind of manipulated the rules to wrap up the fight and go to the cards and win a technical decision. And there remains this debate over whether the doctor and the ref stopped it, in which case it's correct to go to the cards, or whether Mikey himself declined to fight on and then it gets kind of hazy. Look, very good career, did have pound-for-pound pound level abilities, never lost until he went too far up in weight, finished his career unbeaten at 140 pounds and below, but I am inclined at this moment to say not getting my Hall of Fame vote. But, you know, like I said, I have time to think it over, and there might come a year where he is among the three most deserving names on the ballot. You know, he'll get no real consideration from me in any year with lots of good options, but... Sort of like how Hector Camacho or Riddick Bowe or Ray Mancini got in after sitting on the ballot for a little while, and then they found a year where there just weren't many other obvious options. I may end up voting for Mikey someday. Um, but I feel like I should close not on that note, but rather on wishing him a happy retirement and congratulating him on an excellent boxing career and hopefully finding a next career that he's passionate about. 
In other news, we have a couple of fights that have been announced that are worth mentioning. Shakur Stevenson will reportedly be defending his 130-pound titles on ESPN against Robson Conceição on September 23rd, which, interestingly, is a Friday. And more importantly, is Bruce Springsteen's birthday, which should be a national <laughs> holiday, obviously. Uh, and Emmanuel Navarrete will defend his featherweight title against fellow Mexican Eduardo Baez, also on ESPN in San Diego on August 20th. One fight that may not be happening now is Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, as Fury was not allowed to board his flight for the United States for a planned kickoff press conference. Once again, these Daniel Kinahan connections are proving problematic for international travel. Uh, a fight that is happening and for which a presser did take place is the third meeting between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. And Canelo showed flashes of apparently genuine anger, accusing Golovkin of being two-faced, of being polite in person while throwing shade behind his back. Canelo and former protege Ryan Garcia have also been taking shots at each other. Garcia, remember, left Camp Canelo last year with Alvarez accusing him of wasting his talent. And after Garcia suggested Golovkin could win the trilogy fight, Alvarez responded on the DAZN boxing show that, quote, he's a little kid. My advice for him is to do your job, focus on your career, win a world championship first, then talk about other people. And lastly, Mike Tyson has revealed he took magic mushrooms before his exhibition bout with Roy Jones in 2020. Quote, it helps me train. It helps me box better. He told the Pivot podcast, when I'm fighting, I really don't feel the punches it's really just some fucking magical shit. You just saw me fight. I was on shrooms. I wouldn't fight without them. Are you crazy? And some weed. I wish I did this shit during my career. I'm so fucking mad. I didn't know about this shit. End quote. So, uh, Kieran, anything you'd like to comment on here? Um, starting from the top, I uh, <laughs> I like the Stevenson Constance matchup. You know, Constance of course, arguably deserves to win uh, against uh, Oscar Valdez. Right. And so... With Stevenson having uh, swatted aside Valdez, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, he's putting together a strong run uh, against really solid opposition, Shakira Stevenson. He, he's not really taking any light touches at all at the moment. Um, full credit to him for that. Um, it sure looks as if this time around, as the first time, uh, Paul Tommy Fury isn't going to happen. Um, and I doubt that Jake Paul really cares, honestly. Um his fans aren't really interested in whether Jake Paul fights a quote-unquote real boxer or not. He might be a bit disappointed because this was a quote-unquote real boxer who he had every chance of beating. Um, but he'll find someone to fight, and his fans will love it, and he'll pack the garden, and Amanda Serrano will, will have a good fight too, and that'll be fine. But yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't look like uh, anybody associated with the Kinahan with Daniel Kinahan is getting over here anytime soon. Right. Um the Canelo Garcia business, you know, the word on Brian Garcia right from the very beginning has been that you know, he's maybe a bit sort of too full of himself and that's sort of what Canelo was alluding to, but the comment that he made that set Canelo off was pretty mild. He just said he wasn't sure if Canelo was in the best possible space right now and that if Golovkin had a perfect night he could beat him which isn't by any stretch an entirely unreasonable observation um it just seems like Canelo is a bit spiky um perhaps because he's returning to his rivalry with somebody he genuinely loathes right um and again to be fair he mostly loathes Golovkin because Golovkin talks shit about his failing a drug test and causing their rematch to be delayed but he did fail a drug test and caused the rematch <laughs> to be delayed so 
Uh, I, I don't know, but I think that spikiness and that anger is genuine. Um, and talking of drugs, all I have to say is I'm a very different stoner from Mike Tyson. I <laughs> sit quietly with large eyes and watch cartoons and he fights Roy Jones. But it's unsurprising to me that I would be a different kind of stoner to Mike Tyson. Um, you know, I don't normally do mushrooms. If I did a lot of mushrooms, would I be different? Would I be wanting to get in the ring with Roy Jones? No. I wouldn't. Interviewing him at the Hall of Fame is about as close <laughs> to a conflict with Roy Jones as I want to get. Yeah, that was that that was a bit conflicty for for an interview. <laughs> now, when you now when you get uh, when you smoke the weed and watch cartoons, do you ever watch the Mike Tyson Mysteries cartoon? Oh, you know I haven't done that's an excellent. That could be fun. That's on the to do list. Okay, there you go. All right, <laughs> thanks thanks for that. Um, uh, finally, a couple of fights to catch up on in England. Joe Joyce knocked out Christian Hammer in the fourth round, but. In Australia, Maris Bredis uh, lost his cruiserweight title by unanimous decision to Jai Pattaya. Uh, Eric, I believe you watched that cruiserweight fight. Uh, anything worth reporting on there? Yeah, definitely. First, though, quickly, I'll just note that there's really not much to say about Joyce versus Hammer. This was a stay busy fight. Nothing more. The outcome was preordained. It was all quite pointless and forgettable. Opatia Bredis, not pointless, not forgettable, quite entertaining and dramatic. In fact, um, I knew nothing about Opatia coming into this, but, you know, sometimes a guy with no resume to speak of has legit talent and is getting his shot at the right time. It's a little like fellow Aussie Cambosos against Teofimo. Mm. Uh, Opatia 27, Bredis 37. Maybe it was just the perfect time, but also Opatia has skills. He's a southpaw. He can take a shot and keep firing back. He got off to a fast start and a big lead, and he broke Bredis's nose early, and it got quite bloody. Then Bredis started coming on late. He seemed to know he needed a knockout, and he fought like it the second half of the fight, and he made it close. Opatia claimed afterward that his jaw was broken in round two. Maybe so. He would know better than me. Uh, but it wasn't until about round nine or ten that we as an audience started seeing evidence of it when Bredis started landing some big uppercuts and the jaw started swelling badly. Whenever it happened, Opatia showed a lot of guts fighting through it, made it to the finish line, and scored a big upset win. It was 115-113 and 116-112 twice, and one of those 116-112s was from Steve Weisfeld. So you know that Opatia did indeed deserve the win, <laughs> uh, and he's now the TBRB lineal cruiserweight champion. Bradus was the champ. Opatia takes the title. He's now the man at cruiserweight, just like that. Uh, good for him. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next once that broken jaw is fully healed. One side note, this fight card had the worst ring announcer ever. If you watched it, you know what I'm talking about. The worst. Uh, <laughs> some, some of our Australian listeners have been encouraging me on Twitter to move to Australia, and I was thinking about it, but not if this guy's going to be there. <laughs> Really? Now I have to go watch. Yeah, go go check it out. It's it, take. I'm sure it's not too hard to picture in your head a ring announcer you don't like who is annoying, kind of makes it about himself. Is a, there's a little too much showmanship. Whoever you're picturing, turn it up several degrees, and definitely just check out how he announced the decision at the end of this fight. Okay, it's brutal. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that goes for all the listeners as well, not just you, Karen. Anyone who didn't get to see this, uh, look it up and, and watch the decision get read and uh, get angry right along with me. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, it is July 4th weekend. We have just crossed the midpoint of the year, which means it is time for the Haffy Awards, except 
we've thought about it and we've decided it's a little silly to go category by category through fight of the half year, round of the half year, etc., and basically spoil all the conversations that we're going to be having at the end of the year. So we're not going to do a full halfies, which <laughs> I guess that's an oxymoron, full halfies. Uh, oh, well, anyway, we aren't doing full halfies. We're just going to talk about the fighter of the year race and where it stands at the midpoint of the year and where it might go over the next six months. So, Kieran, who would you say is the fighter of the year to this point? You know, if the year ended right now, who has your vote? And who else is well positioned to maybe end up as fighter of the year if they were to win another significant fight or two between now and December? So I think for me right now, it has to be Bam Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. um, there are caveats. The, neither Carlos Quadras nor Strisakets or Rungvisai uh, the two men he's beaten this year are what they were. But to leap up from 108 to 115, beat one and then stop the other, and then put himself in a position like where he may either stay at 115 or perhaps go back to 112, and, and if he could win a title there, that would be just a tremendous year. And just as importantly, he's looked spectacular while doing it. It isn't, as we talked about, I guess, just last week, and as you mentioned, it wasn't just the case of beating up an older guy it was just looking tremendous uh, the way he went about his business so for me uh, depending on what happens in the second half of the year uh, bam rodriguez would be ahead uh it's his race to lose in my mind but the one person who's most likely to take it from him i think is dimitri bivol uh i guess a lot depends on on who bivol does fight next if he, if he were to face and beat arta betabiev then obviously he wins this by a country mile but i don't know how realistic that matchup is right now betabiev looks like he has to fight anthony yard next so we shall see but bivol is obviously in my mind the 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 main contender if Terence Crawford Errol Spence happens, yeah, and there's a clear winner, that would have to be an extremely strong contender, especially if it's Spence, who also will have the Ugas win this year. Um, then I think there'd be no touching him. An Alexander Usyk win in the rematch with Anthony Joshua, especially a convincing one, might gain him a lot of votes, especially because of the context in which this fight is happening hmm. and everything else that Usyk and all his his countrymen are going through. Um, and you know who might be a bit of a dark horse contender, especially with a win over Concesao and perhaps one other, is Shakur Stevenson. Um, I wouldn't completely rule him out, depending on what everybody else is doing. But for now, I feel like it's Bam Rodriguez or Dimitri Bivol or a Crawford Spence winner are the most likely ones. Am I missing somebody? Um, yeah, maybe a few fringe possibilities, but we're pretty well aligned on who the front runners are. I certainly agree with you that if the year ended today... It has to be Bam Rodriguez. He's the only championship-level fighter who scored two big-time wins in the first half of the year. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely him at the moment. And then the next half-dozen guys, again, just judging on the first half of the year alone, these guys all have one really impressive win apiece. It's Bevel, Jermel Charlo, Errol Spence, Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson, who you mentioned, Noah Inouye. I could see any of them leapfrogging Bam with a second signature win in 2022. But for me, even more than what Bivol does next, I think this hinges most on whether Spetz Crawford happens. Yeah. If it does and someone wins it cleanly, even if it's Terrence Crawford and that's his only fight this year, if he beats Spence convincingly, I think he's the fighter of the year probably. And certainly if Spence beats him, you KO Ugas and then you beat Bud Crawford. I think there's no discussion at yeah. that point. Um, if that fight doesn't get done, then it's it's more wide open. 
Yeah, you know, Bivol would need to get a second meaningful fight in, and I'm not sure Anthony Yard qualifies. Um, I mean, that's fine, but I'm not sure he can move ahead of Bam with that, especially since Bam figures to fight at least once more this year. Um, But yeah, same for a lot of the others. Like, if Haney fought Lomachenko next and beat him, then okay, he's in the conversation. Sure. Um, Shakur... Can he get in a major fight in November or December after Conceição in September? Because I'm not sure Conceição counts for enough mm. to get him over the line there. Um, so, But if he can get a third fight, maybe. But yeah, in, in all likelihood, my vote for fighter of the year would appear it's going to go to either Bam Rodriguez, Errol Spence, or Terrence Crawford, um, with Bivol lurking as maybe a tiny 2% kind of option if things go a certain way. Um, but, you know... No disrespect to Bam, but when I lay it out that way, I have to say I hope the fighter of the year is either yes. Spence or Crawford because that yes. means they will have fought each other. Yeah, indeed. And full credit to Bam. Who would If we would have taken the predictions on January 1st, <laughs> he would not have been in my list. That's for damn sure. <laughs> no, I don't know if I could have told you anything about him prior to the start of 2022. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we conclude as ever. With a top five challenge, it is my turn to present you with a challenge, and it is connected with uh, Saturday's upcoming main event, or rather the circumstances that allowed this particular main event to come together. As we discussed at length, Max Sayo was an unexpected winner over Gary Russell Jr. My question to you is, what are your favorite top five total underdog title wins? Um, there are no other real limiting factors. There can be no wrong answers because I'm asking you to pick your five <laughs> favorites. I like that. Um, just to do something different, because if you were just to pick the top five, I think it's fairly obvious already what number one would have yep. to be. Yep. And it still could be. Um, there are no other criteria. It can be the ones you most enjoyed watching, the ones you were most surprised by, the ones that you enjoyed because you were kind of rooting for the underdog or you didn't like the favorite who is the champion the only consideration is it has to be a champion losing to an uh, a, a significant underdog challenger uh anytime you want from you know maybe you there's there's a fight from 1908 that you think right <laughs> more people need to be talking about that 346 round knockout um so yeah there you go that's uh, that's your list pick five out of all the upset title wins in history, just pick your five favorites. Okay, this is this is fun. I like that framing of it because certainly biggest upsets have been discussed yeah. ad nauseum. But to sort of give it this twist of the most fun for me personally, my favorites, uh, I can I can dig into that uh, a little bit. Now I have to think about whether I've ever won big betting on an underdog ah, who, who yeah, won because certainly that would make my list if it ever happened. But you know, I'm not sure it ever happened. I, off the top of my head, I am not thinking of a massive underdog who I actually bet on to win but I'll, I'll mull this over and I'll, i'm sure i'll come up with five good ones yeah i think the biggest challenge with this is there's been actually so many that we've all seen it might take a while to remember them all and and, and then whittle them down a little bit but right yeah I, this is definitely one of those mulling over things and I, and I wonder if i might be inclined as i start putting it together to stick with fights that i watched as they played out uh, yeah because um, to be a to the the sort of favorite aspect sort of implies the fun of of, of watching right. it, not, you know, reading about it decades later or yeah. something like that. So I, I, may, I may go that way, if you don't mind. Top five underdog title wins that yeah. I watched happen not knowing the results. So that would even knock uh, Douglas Tyson out of the conversation. Ah, there you go. A top five upset 
win list that doesn't include Douglas Tyson. That's, that's <laughs> we've done it. We, we, we have finally, yeah, we have finally achieved what none before us have done. Uh, that will do it for this week's Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week with Eric's list with a recap of the July 9th card in San Antonio. One more interview from the Boxing Hall of Fame and all the news that's fit the podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>